Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. The term at-risk youth is used to define juveniles who are likely to fall victim to societal traps before successfully transitioning into adulthood. Perhaps it's poverty, the loss of a parent, mental health issues, early substance misuse, or a combination of these factors. But these kids are less likely to finish their education and find employment. Left to survive in a sometimes cruel world, they can become victims of predatory adults with ulterior motives. In 2013, a 15-year-old girl in Sudbury, Ontario, fell in with an older crowd. She became surrounded by drugs, coerced sex work, and people who commit violence. Months later, she went missing, and she has not been found. After almost 10 years, the search for her continues, led by a tenacious group of investigators, family members, and a community brought together in a search for the truth. In this episode, we present the disappearance of Megan Pilon, and you are listening to True North True Crime. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. If you're a longtime listener or new to the podcast, we're super glad to have you here, and thank you for supporting our podcast. True North True Crime is an independent Canadian podcast bringing awareness to cases of missing people as well as victims of violent crime. If you have a case for us that needs attention, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. And with that, let's get into tonight's episode. Okay, so in this episode, we are talking about the disappearance of Megan Pilon. Megan was reported missing by her father in Sudbury, Ontario, on September 11th, 2013. At the time of her disappearance, Megan is described as a white 15-year-old female. She is 5'10 and 140 pounds. She has hazel eyes and black hair. She has a scar above her lip on the right-hand side and a Playboy bunny tattoo on her left shoulder. Today, Megan would be 25 years old. 
If you have any information on Megan's disappearance or her whereabouts, there are several avenues for you to report a tip. You can call the Sudbury Police Department at 705-675-7177. You can call Crime Stoppers, or you can go to pleasebringmehome.com to offer your tip. This episode was a real collaboration and challenging to piece together. We have used some information from friends and family members. We have also used publicly available news articles. Megan's story was also featured in a TV crime series called Last Seen Alive. This show was produced for the Investigation Discovery Network. There is a book titled Unsolved Sudbury, Missing, Murdered, Unexplained by author Sarah May. Now, this book shines a light on several missing and murdered women cases in the Sudbury area, and we highly recommend that people read this book. We also want to express our thanks to Natasha Pickering, who is on the investigation team with Please Bring Me Home. Now, Natasha has been working on this case for about eight years. Natasha, along with her investigation partner, Julie Charette, have painstakingly uncovered invaluable information in this case. Please Bring Me Home officially took on this case in 2019, although Natasha had been working on it for several years previous. We have spoken about Please Bring Me Home many times on this podcast, and we've been lucky enough to work with several of their investigators on missing persons cases. They are an incredible organization that helps families of missing people to find their loved ones. We will link them on our social media and in the show notes so that you can familiarize yourself with the cases that they are currently covering. Now, about this episode, in this episode, there are people who provided information that wish to remain anonymous. There are several names that we will either be omitting or changing in this episode. Some of the people providing information were vulnerable youth at the time of Megan's disappearance, so for safety reasons, we will be changing or removing those names. Now, as an additional content warning, this episode explores themes of drug use, mental health, and human trafficking. We are also speaking about the disappearance and possible death of a 15-year-old girl. Yes, and the human trafficking has sexual abuse elements to it as well. So this case takes place in Sudbury, Ontario and the surrounding areas. Sudbury is officially known as the city of Greater Sudbury. It is northern Ontario's largest city with a population of about 170,000 residents. The economy of Sudbury relied heavily on mining and the mining service sector. Some estimates say that 80% of the labor force in Sudbury is connected to mining in some way. Sudbury has a reputation as a tough town and has sometimes ranked in the top third of Canada's most dangerous cities. Violence and violent crime has been steadily increasing in Sudbury, most of which has been tied to gangs, drugs, and sex trafficking. On the positive, Sudbury can be a great place to make a living, own a home, raise a family, and enjoy the outdoors. Megan Rose Pilon was born on October 6, 1997. Her father's name is Mark Pilon, and her mother's name was Christine Martel, although for a period of time Christine went by Alice Pilon. Christine came into the relationship with Mark with her own son named Justin, so Justin is Megan's half-brother. As a child, Megan was bubbly and full of energy. She was an incredibly chatty kid and was loved by her entire family. Mark worked as a cook at a Mr. Prime Rib restaurant, and he also struggled with chronic pain due to a workplace injury. Christine worked on and off as a cleaner. She had some traumatic experiences as a child and as a young woman that profoundly affected her as an adult. Unfortunately, Christine and Mark broke up for a period of time in the early 2000s. 
Christine was doing her best to manage her mental health challenges, and as a result of this, Christine was unable to get permanent housing. She was given a motel room in partnership with a local nonprofit. In 2004, the family was hit with the tragic news that Christine died suddenly. According to a news article shared with us, she was discovered deceased in that same motel room. This news was devastating, obviously, to the whole family, but it really impacted Megan, who was only seven years old at the time. Mark would do his best to continue on in the aftermath of his partner's death. The family, now led by Mark alone, moved to a three-bedroom townhouse in a social housing complex in the Ryan Heights neighborhood. Although Justin was not Mark's biological son, Mark wanted to keep the family together the best he could, and things were good for a while. The neighborhood was safe, and both kids were going to school. However, Mark and Justin had some disagreements. This was just normal teen-type stuff. But eventually, as Justin got older, he decided to leave. And in 2010, when he was 17 years old, he moved out on his own. Mark then had to acquire new housing as the family was smaller. So this time it was a two-bedroom in New Sudbury. The new home was located in a social housing complex, and I might get this wrong, it's called Place Hurtabees. So Place Hurtabees. And this was located at 1950 LaSalle Boulevard. This complex is made up of 106 townhomes spanning 20 blocks. Now it was here that things began to change for Megan. She was now a young teen. In 2012, she was 14 years old. Mark and Megan shared a two-bedroom together. In her room were celebrity posters of Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, One Direction, typical teen-type stuff. But outside and at school, things were changing. Megan was rebelling and struggling in school. One source close to Megan shared about life in what they called the PH, or the Place Hurtabees housing complex, She said that the kids in PH were all pretty tight. All of the kids in PH knew each other or of each other. They could feel free to walk up to other groups of kids in the complex and just hang out, forming small groups of usually similarly aged kids just doing kid stuff. And from where she stood, she said that Megan appeared to be quite vulnerable and emotional, and that as a teen... With trauma due to the loss of her mother and living so close to the margins of poverty, Megan's behavior changed. This included drugs, alcohol, and what the same source called overly sexualized behavior. The source added that she cared for Megan very deeply. Quote, As someone who struggled to have normal interactions due to my own childhood home, I made it my job to give people the support system I felt I was lacking. She said that Megan was a lovely, bubbly, kind of erratic, but wholeheartedly loving person, and that they both shared a love for screamo music, the emo aesthetic, taking pictures, playing games on social media, and just generally being away from their family homes. She felt the friendship worked well because of the trauma they both shared. They didn't live the same lives, but they understood where each other were coming from. There were some positives happening for Megan in her young life. She had acquired a part-time job at a pizza pizza down the street from her home, and she did for a time get connected to the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Sudbury. This was great. She was connected with supports and encouraged to follow her creative talents. Megan was able to explore her musical talents with another organization called Sudbury Youth Rocks. This organization helps at-risk youth by providing musical instruments as well as lessons. Megan was one of the first kids in the group. She played guitar and sang. 
Here's a quick clip of Megan. I am going to try and sing a song for you, okay? I'm sorry if this sounds really bad. You say that you're never gonna leave me But sometimes don't you tell me that you need me When this line is mine, just think about it Thank you, and yes, it was me, and I am sorry if I sucked, but yeah, thank you. So despite being connected to those services that are designed to keep kids safe, there was a group of older men and women ranging in age from their late teens to their 30s who seemed to hang out with the young teens in the neighborhood. Megan had started hanging out with this crowd while she separated from her other friend group. It was also revealed that she had multiple social media accounts that had some suspicious followers, including older men that were connected to shady behavior. By all definitions, it would seem that Megan was being groomed by an older group of people. A day came when Megan told her father, Mark, that she had been the victim of a sexual assault. Mark and Megan reported the assault. However, there were no charges laid in relation to this alleged crime. Getting the finer details of what was happening for Megan during this time is challenging. Many of the people offer up information that is rooted in rumors and speculation. Many of these folks themselves, while well-intentioned, were struggling at the time in addiction, poverty, crime, and mental health struggles. Family members, including Mark and her brother Justin, say that Megan had the outward appearances of substance use disorder. And along with the drug use, she may have been engaging in survival sex work. But there were other people in her life who actually say that things had not gotten that extreme. They say that, yeah, she was smoking some cannabis and she was drinking. And they also say that she was enrolled in school and really turning things around. She had even brought home a kitten uh, named Bella who she was taking care of. So in all of the fog of speculation and rumor, the only clarity is that Megan was a vulnerable and at-risk teen, a 15-year-old girl who grew up with financial insecurity, a child who lost her mom in a tragic circumstance, who was then being raised by a single dad who had a physical disability and suffered from chronic pain. And for Mark, things were also deteriorating due to his back injury, which um, was attributed to a pinched nerve. He suffered from this chronic pain, and admittedly, that chronic pain led to deep depression. This limited his abilities, both emotionally and physically, as a dad. But some hope came for Mark in 2013. He was a candidate for a surgery that could potentially fix his pain. In early August of 2013, Mark was admitted to hospital for his back surgery. This would require him to stay at the hospital for quite a while. The healing at home post-surgery was also going to be quite extensive. During this time, Megan was to stay with a relative. However, this was not necessarily happening as she would often stay with friends instead. Mark had a surgery and it was successful. In his recovery, though, he was basically bedridden at the hospital. He was relying on a walker to get around his hospital room to the bathroom. Mark recalls that Megan was in good spirits when she came to see him. In total, she visited him three times. In early September, Mark had graduated from his bed to a wheelchair and was engaged in physical rehab at the hospital. We're now going to begin wading into the timeline of events leading up to Megan's disappearance. Now, unfortunately, getting the timeline of Megan's disappearance has been incredibly challenging. 
we know that our last sightings were in the first 11 days of September 2013. We know that Megan visited Mark in the hospital for what would be her third and final visit. A Sudbury newspaper said this was Wednesday, September 11th, which we believe is a mistake and they are using the date she was reported missing, not her last sighting. Our sources say Friday, September 6th was the last sighting. And the book says September 3rd. So clearly, this is a moving target, especially as the years go on. So on that September day, Megan visited her dad at the hospital. Mark noticed that something was off about Megan, and in his own words, she seemed out of it and possibly on pills. The visit was short. At the end of it, Megan hugged her father and said, I love you, before exiting the room. Mark states that after he left, he looked out the window of his hospital room and saw Megan getting into a two-door dark green muscle car that he had never seen before. However, this sighting has recently been disputed as it would not have been possible for Mark, who was heavily sedated, to see the parking lot from his hospital bed where he was lying before she left. This car has not been located or connected to anyone in this case. Later that day, Megan was seen at the Tim Hortons on Cedar Street. Now, this particular Tim Hortons was, at the time, a hotbed of illegal activity. Open drug use, drug selling, sex work, and assaults were common in and out of that coffee shop. Recently, it was revealed that Megan visited her brother, Justin, at the Park Hotel. Now, the Park Hotel is uh, sort of an SRO type of hotel, like single-room occupancy hotel. Now, Justin reported this to be the same day that she visited Mark in the hospital. However, since this sighting wasn't reported by Justin until years later, the date may not be entirely accurate. So Justin states that when he saw Megan, she seemed, quote, out of it like she was high and that she expressed she was unhappy at home. He said that they smoked a joint and for the most part, things seemed fine. Again, it is important to note here that this sighting of Megan by her brother was not mentioned until she had been missing for a few years. During the same time frame, apparently Megan was also seen at a local swimming pool for a short period of time. Now, the last activity on Megan's Facebook was at 4.30 a.m. on September 13th, 2013. However, it is entirely unclear as to who was using Megan's social media accounts. What we do know is that Megan has not been seen by her family members since that day at the hospital. That is the last sort of confirmed family sighting. Now, Mark became concerned when he hadn't heard from Megan um, over a few days. While he was speaking to Toronto.com, Mark states, quote, I kept calling and there was no answer. I tried Saturday, nothing. Sunday, nothing. Monday, nothing, and that's when I called to report it. I felt totally helpless. I couldn't leave the hospital because I couldn't walk. Now, at first, Megan's case was treated as a runaway, and for the first week, there wasn't uh, what you would call any active investigation going on. However, after the first week, a detective uh, began taking statements and looking into this case as a missing and endangered young person. However, Megan has not contacted her family since that week in September 2013. She has now been missing for almost a decade. 
We are now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. True North True Crime is an independent podcast, and our sponsors make this podcast possible. So please give them a listen. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And we are back. So before the break, we outlined the life and disappearance of Megan Pilon. Megan was a young teen who was dealing with some pretty adult-sized challenges in her life. She lost her mom at an early age and was raised by her father who was struggling with chronic pain. Although there were some positive things happening in her life, Megan began drifting towards a much older and more dangerous crowd by the time she was 15 years old. Rumors swirled after Megan's disappearance and none of them were good. In the days after Megan went missing, Mark used a public access computer at the hospital to reach out for help on Facebook. He also asked someone to check on his home, fearing that Megan was dead in one of the rooms. She was not there. Megan's aunt realized the situation was not good and that Mark could not do this on his own. She helped to put up missing posters around Sudbury, and she even attended the notorious Tim Hortons to ask if anyone there had seen Megan. While many people could offer rumors or opinion, no one was able to tell them concretely where Megan went, with who, or where she was at at that time. When Mark finally got home from the hospital, the house was in disarray. Tables were tipped over and belongings were everywhere. Megan's bank card and ID were still in the home. His initial thoughts were that it was Megan who messed up the house because she was angry and looking for something. However, another scenario is that Megan was taken from the house by someone or it was staged to look like a mess. By the seven-month mark of Megan being missing, she had not returned and leads had been fruitless. It was at this time that Megan's case was featured on the Investigation Discovery Channel show Last Seen Alive. This episode follows Toronto-based investigator Tom Klatt. The show itself is Quite over the top, it's a sensationalized true crime type show that brings an energy as if you are on the hunt along with Tom Klatt to solve the case. Mark and Megan's aunt Ellen participated in the show. Being desperate to find Megan, it is completely understandable that they would have wanted to take this chance um, to bring exposure to her case and possibly even solve her disappearance. During the investigation, Tom Klatt finds out that Megan was soliciting sex work on the internet. She also had a profile on the dating site Plenty of Fish. Again, we need to clarify here that Megan was just 15 years old. Klatt also hears a rumor that Megan was hanging out with an older woman in her 20s named Wyona. We have read statements that Wyona was a bad influence on Megan. 
that Wyona was secretive and did not interact with Megan's other friends who were her own age, and that Megan would have to sometimes leave quickly from uh, different gatherings and stuff to, quote, do something with Wyona. Other people stated that Wyona was receiving part of Megan's earnings for setting up dates with older men. This, as we all know, is called pimping. In Canada, this falls under Section 212.2 of the Criminal Code and is called living off the avails of prostitution of a person under 18. So Clatt finds out that Wyona moved to Serpent River after Megan disappeared, and Clatt hunts her down and she appears on camera. She admits on camera that Megan was a sex worker who had about five regular customers. Again, we need to say here that Megan was just 15 years old. This is not something she could consent to. This is incredibly illegal for these men and anyone involved in grooming Megan into this life. Adults can make whatever choices they want, but minors cannot. So it becomes clear in this television show that Wyona is just a cog in a larger sex trafficking business. She leads Clat to a Sudbury businessman who paid Megan for sex five or six times. That man later admits this on camera, but states that he doesn't know where Megan is at that time. At the end of the episode, Megan is not found. We should add here that the man's um, truck appears on camera. However, his face is blurred out of the episode. Wyona's face is not blurred out of the episode. So in the years after the show aired, Mark expressed regret for taking part in the episode. He felt that it derailed the efforts to find Megan by focusing entirely on the sex trade angle. In 2017, the Sudbury police stated that, quote, the thrust of the investigation after the episode of Last Seen Alive aired was in the direction of human trafficking, but we have no information from across Canada in any of our projects that involve human trafficking, nor have we followed up on any tips that have proven fruitful that Megan Pilon is being human trafficked. I do not promote that this is the reason that she is missing, end quote. Over the years, there have been many alleged sightings of Megan, some in Espanola, West Nipissing, and other parts of Ontario. In an interview with Sarah May for her book, Justin, Megan's brother, recalled hearing stories about his sister. In one story, a woman said that she lived with Megan for two weeks in 2014. Now note that this would be one year after her family last saw her. Another story had sightings of Megan between 2014 and 2015 in the company of two Ottawa pimps who traveled with her between Ottawa and Sudbury. Another story that has made the rounds multiple times is that Megan ran away but did not survive. A witness states that in March of 2014, Megan died of a drug overdose and that her body was disposed of in the Spanish River. The witness traded this story for immunity from prosecution. His story states that Megan was at a drug house run by a pimp in a complex known as Rumble Terrace. This witness saw Megan take a hit of fentanyl and then die. A group of men then took her out a stairwell and placed her in the river. This story about the overdose in Rumble Terrace seemed to be corroborated in 2020 when Linda Gillies, a former RCMP inspector and now the former director of the investigations at Please Bring Me Home, posted an update to their website. The post reads in part, I was anonymously given a copy of an alleged agreement concerning an alleged witness and the provincial attorney in which this young male made a deal for a lighter sentence by providing the names of those involved in the alleged overdose death of Megan at Rumble Terrace. 
Megan allegedly overdosed and the six males panicked, rolled her body in a shower curtain and put her in the back of a pickup truck. She was taken to Espanola and they either laid her on the riverbank or put her out on the ice. The police searched this area underwater and on dry land with no results yielded. The individual who provided the information left town and relocated to British Columbia, although he returned just over a year later. The post goes on, Then this same individual involved in the drug overdose story called me and told me a male took Megan out to Burwash Prison, raped and murdered her, and buried her just off the old Highway 69 exit, which went into the prison. Apparently, this is not his first murder, quote, for the cause, which we believe is a reference to being gang-affiliated, and he likes to bury them out near the prison. So the more we looked into this case, the more we found stories just like this one. Horrific stories of trafficking or forced sex work, drug overdoses with attempts to cover up, or elaborate murders, with many of these stories coming from questionable sources. It seems that in this case, everyone seems to know something, but no one can prove anything. Someone must be telling the truth. But who? And what exactly happened to Megan Pilon after she walked out of the hospital that day in September of 2013? She was 15 years old, turning 16. She had no resources, no money, no job, a limited education. Her chances of living undetected for almost 10 years are low. In fact, after Megan disappeared, her beloved grandmother died. Yet Megan did not show up to the funeral, nor did she come forward for the inheritance that she stood to acquire. Megan is still considered a disappeared person, and as such, she's still listed on the Sudbury Police website as a missing person, and also on various missing person databases across Canada, the U.S., and beyond. Now, the dynamics of her investigation changed around the four-year mark. A Sudbury police representative stated, quote, At this point, we are concerned that because of the length of time that's gone by, foul play may be involved. Our hope is that we will find Megan one day, but after four years, a person of her age who has not been located, it begins to look very bleak. I have concerns that it will not be a good outcome. As we stated at the start of this episode, Please Bring Me Home took on this case in 2019. Please Bring Me Home is an organization that utilizes multiple resources in an attempt to find closure for the families of missing people. They do not seek to solve crimes or present charges in cases. Their skill set is geared towards either finding loved ones still alive or finding the remains of missing people. This group has been highly effective in many cases. Taking over Megan's case in 2019 has reignited the case for a lot of people, and Please Bring Me Home has been slowly narrowing down the search for the truth. Since taking on Megan's case in late October of 2019, Please Bring Me Home have done a wide range of reverse picture searches on the internet searching for Megan. They have also conducted multiple ground searches, social media searches, and spoken to anyone that was and is still willing to speak with them. They are also in contact with a new officer of the Greater Sudbury Police Service who is tasked with Megan's file. On November 23, 2022, Please Bring Me Home have turned over a staggering 878-page report in hopes that there is something police can work with from those files. And there seems to be some recent movement in this case. On March 30, 2023, Julie Charette from Please Bring Me Home posted in Megan's missing group on Facebook and her post reads, 
In light of some recent information received, which is starting to show a clearer picture and closer timeline, we are encouraging anyone that has heard anything about Megan to please contact Please Bring Me Home. Please Bring Me Home has received numerous tips on this case, but now the gaps are being filled. What you may have heard could be the last tip to put all of the pieces together. Please contact Please Bring Me Home with anything you have heard about Megan. Now, due to the ongoing nature of this case, we cannot report on any of the new details that Please Bring Me Home have received, as they may jeopardize the investigation. Having a missing person in your family can have a profound effect. Many people process the loss differently. We've spoken a lot on this podcast about ambiguous loss, that feeling of a person being psychologically present but physically absent. The not knowing, the holding out of hope, the helplessness, the guilt has been incredibly difficult for Megan's family. They've endured the recounting of horrific rumors, all the while holding out hope that Megan will one day walk in the door or be found. The impact of Megan's disappearance on her family has been felt generationally. Her grandmother passed away without knowing what happened to her beloved granddaughter. Her aunt Ellen helped Mark in those early days searching the streets of Sudbury. She participated in the TV show and was exposed to the Sudbury underworld, which was far from the life that she lived. In later years, she used her computer skills to search and organize. She has recently had to step away from the investigation for health reasons. Her Aunt Carol continues to be an active leader in the search for Megan. Carol collects and passes on leads to the investigators. Carol was very close to Megan and wants closure and to eventually bring her niece home. This has taken a great toll on her and her family. We should add here that Carol was the first person to contact us when the podcast expressed interest in covering this case. Megan's brother Justin still holds out hope that his sister will be found alive. He continues to live with the complex trauma of losing his mother and then his sister. As for Mark, his health has deteriorated in the last few years. After years of struggling to find his daughter, years of chronic pain, years of depression, sadly, Mark has been diagnosed with dementia. He is currently in a long-term care facility, decorated with some photos of his 15-year-old daughter, seemingly frozen in time. In recent years, Mark has shared that he believes that Megan is deceased. He does not believe that she would have broken contact with her family for this long. We asked Please Bring Me Home how our listeners can help. And Natasha shared that our listeners should keep sharing Megan's poster to reach out to their anonymous tip line at 1-226-702-2728 or to submit a tip on their website at www.pleasebringmehome.com. There's also a Facebook group called Finding Megan Pilon of Sudbury, Ontario, and we encourage everyone to join that page. Currently, the group has about 1,100 members, and it would be amazing to see that grow. We will link the anonymous tip line, Please Bring Me Home's website, as well as the link to Megan's Facebook page in our show notes. On September 11th, 2022, Please Bring Me Home organized the first annual Megan Pilon Memorial Walk in Sudbury. The event in memory of Megan, who was last seen in Sudbury on September 11, 2013, is meant to raise awareness and remind people that Megan is not forgotten. The group wants everyone to know that just because it has been nine years, 
10 years now, does not mean that people have stopped looking for her. In 2013, Megan Pilon was just 15 years old when she became surrounded by people who looked to exploit her. She was young and vulnerable, and she was groomed by a group of older people who introduced her to a world that took her away from her family. In the first week of September 2013, she visited with her father at the hospital. She told him that she loved him, and then she left. She has not been seen since. While this case may feel cold, there are many people working behind the scenes to find the truth of what happened to Megan. At the time of her disappearance, Megan is described as a 15-year-old female. She is 5 foot 10 inches tall, 140 pounds. She has hazel eyes and black hair. She has a scar above her right lip and a Playboy bunny tattoo on her left shoulder. Megan was 15 when she went missing. She would be about 25 years old today. If you were a part of the same scene as Megan in Sudbury in 2013, or you have information in this case that you have not spoken about, we ask that you come forward. Megan deserves to be found, and her family deserves answers and closure. And if needed, justice needs to be served. There are several avenues for you to report a tip. You can call the Sudbury Police Department at 705 705- 675-7171. You can call Crime Stoppers, or as we stated, you can go to pleasebringmehome.com to offer your tip. We would like to thank Natasha and Julie from Please Bring Me Home for helping us with this episode. Again, we encourage you to read the book Unsolved Sudbury, Missing, Murdered, Unexplained by author Sarah May. And lastly, we really like to thank Carol for trusting us with her family's story. As always, we want to thank you, the listener, and supporters of True North True Crime for joining us for this episode. We will be back soon with a new episode. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.